Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go, so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. If I didn't know better, I'd say it's time for another brand spanking new episode of the Kaiju Cast, the only podcast that I'm aware of that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. This is the ninth episode, and a very special one, too, because I have my first guest ever at the audio console with me tonight. Martin Vavra is back, and if there's some kind of live studio audience, uh, I totally expect a nice round of applause, but since we're all alone in this scary, monster-filled studio... We'll have to get by with me just saying, welcome back, Martin. Welcome. It's glad, I'm glad to be back. Martin is going to be playing the role of host a little later, and will be interviewing me, which sort of makes me a special guest this month, sort of. But anyway, there's a lot of kaiju news out there, but I definitely have some things to share with you guys later in the show. Now, my standard format dictates that I play some music, and what better way to start this little playlist than with a special request from L, who wrote in and requested Pursue Rodan from one of my favorite Showa movies, Rodan.
cell division. Two cells, 30 minutes, doubling to four in an hour. 32 cells, two hours. One day, four minutes. Terrible. Anti-nuclear bacteria can take effect up to six to 12 hours, on average of eight hours. I just don't understand why nothing happened here. This is a message to L here. Um, if I didn't play the right song for you, that's like totally my bad. I, I didn't actually have a track named Pursue Rodan. So I played Attack Rodan. If I got it right, then never mind. Um, after the Rodan track, I played Terror of Gizora from Yogg, Monster from Space. And I ended that round of music with Man or Astro Man's Like a Giant Microwave. If you know the dubbed version of Godzilla vs. Biollante, you should have recognized some of the audio excerpts from that song. Now I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm actually turning the host microphone over to Martin Vavra, a good friend of mine who moved to Portland almost a year ago, and faithful listeners will remember that he was the first guest I ever had on the show. And uh, that was such a blast that I had no qualms at all about doing this show on a monthly basis. Martin, I'm glad you're back on the show. But like I said, you're the interviewer now, so let's go ahead and get that started. All right. Well, thank you, Kyle. And thank you to everybody who is out there. I am really, really glad to be back here and, and be a part of this. And this is actually a special edition. This is the birthday edition of the Kaiju Cast because it is uh, Kyle's birthday month. And I had actually requested to be able to come on and interview him since I thought he was as interesting as any of the people that he could ever possibly bring on to his own show. So I thought that it would be a a good treat as uh, insight for me into the whole kaiju world and, and uh, also be allowed to let other people dive more into the uh, to the monster mind of Mr. Kyle. Oh shucks. So uh, yeah, without any further ado, I've got some questions here and we're gonna we're gonna dive right into those. And this is actually this is one I've wondered about for a while and I'm actually surprised that I didn't talk about this or ask this when we did the very first show, but that is is what is your very first memory of anything anything Godzilla like, any of those the big monster movies? What is your first memory of that? Um well without a doubt, my first memory of Godzilla at all is the um the show the shogun warriors figure from mattel that came out in the 70s mm-hmm. and subsequently the rodan figure um i actually had the rodan figure i never had the godzilla figure even though the godzilla figure was kind of cool it shot its fist and you'd stick the tongue out of the back of the head and it would have fire on it drawn fire but it was still fire um but no the the that was my first memory and then of course on top of that, that era of my life, there were, of course, many, many episodes of uh, Godzilla from Hanna-Barbera. So so before the, the any of the movies, you actually knew about some of the, the toys that were that were part of that. True, true. 
And uh, so is a uh, and as so as an outsider, then I have to ask: Is the cartoon series, the Hanna Barbera one, is that considered to be somewhat true to the original versions of Godzilla and follows it a lot? Because I know there's the unspoken, you know, which we will not speak of, and so the obviously the cartoon isn't part of the that line of Godzilla stuff. No, no, not not at all. In fact, the Hanna Barbera cartoon is actually very bad it's a very typical cartoon of that time and i remember it too actually when when you mentioned it i watch it because i remember godzilla was able to be summoned by the red button that they pushed Uh, i can't remember if it was on a belt or a wristwatch or something like that but they were actually able to call godzilla up and it was very much uh like an american group of people i think that were like explorers and stuff And, and that was like the a team and that was their B.A. Baracus kind of thing. If I may. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would say that if you know Johnny Quest, it was like Johnny Quest. Uh-huh. You know, you're watching Johnny Quest. The Hanna-Barbera show was so similar, except instead of like Race Bannon saving the day, they called Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Godzilla has such a distinctive roar. Jeff and I talked about that. You know, if you hear that roar, you know it's Godzilla. And in the show, Godzilla's roar is a dude in a studio going, (laughs) It's really, really different. Not at all like the movies. He does fight monsters, which is different than the American Godzilla movie. But, you know, and then there's Godzuki. I I was going to mention Godzuki, yeah. That's cool. You know, I, I don't mind... Godzilla, you know, Godzuki is like Scrappy-Doo, you know, (laughs) a little more bumbling than Scrappy-Doo. And I don't even remember the shows that well, but I do remember that Godzuki was pretty bad. I actually have a lot of people ask me about Godzuki, but they're really asking me about Minya because they remember, you know, movies like Son of Godzilla and movies like Destroy All Monsters when there's like the baby Godzilla and they're calling that monster Godzuki when actually it's not Godzuki it's Minya and I I think I made that mistake and was corrected on that because I didn't know any better you've joined the legions my friend exactly (laughs) yeah yeah now I I don't I don't mind and I actually don't hold that show in any kind of like nostalgic high regard Um, I thought I did and then I saw some episodes recently for the first time in like you know years and years and years and I just kind of said wow that's what passed for cartoons in the 70s. Excellent. <laughs> well, it probably played back to back with like Black Star or something like mm. that. I think it was Thunder the Barbarian. There you go. Yeah. Well, all right. So to, to continue on with that, then I'm really curious. When did you say, I love this? Like, when did you consider yourself a, a true fan? Well, you know, I, I loved dinosaurs when I was a kid. And actually, when I was in sixth, when I was in, when I was six years old and I was going into first grade, I was drawing things from Spectre Man, which is a Japanese TV show, much like Ultraman, except it's not Ultraman. It's kind of, kind of bizarre. But I remember watching Spectre Man on TV when I was a kid and there was a, there was like a giant two headed rat creature. And I remember realizing that it was a suit. And that the guy in the suit had his arms up and his arms were, you know, sort of like moving these rat head puppets around. And that's what was creating 
the rat monster, the two-headed rat monster from Spectreman's mm-hmm. whatever episode that was. And when it comes down to like suitmation stuff, like that clearly didn't impress me that much. I, th- I think I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. As as a first grader, as a very mature first grader, <laughs> I thought, hmm, well, that's a very interesting concept of putting a man in a suit. Um, kidding, of course. I just for some reason I knew it was a guy in a suit. Uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't an idiot as a kid, despite what my teachers thought. But uh, <laughs> I think that really because I loved dinosaurs that just sort of opened the gateway for me watching this stuff. And I think, you know, watching Spectre Man when I was a kid also helped that out uh, because I didn't see any Godzilla movies until much later. And it was, it was probably, you know, when I was watching Rodan like a hundred times a year when I was uh, seven, you know, I didn't really think that Rodan was the giant monster. I just thought he was a giant pteranodon. And that was that was a cool dinosaur movie. But when I got a lot older, like in high school... Oh, no, it was when I moved to Japan. When I moved to Japan I, and I saw Godzilla in 1985, and I said, that is cool. And I, I really liked it. And so, you know, flash forward to, like I said before, like flash forward to the internet days, and I found out there was there were more Godzilla movies than, than what were made in the 60s and the 70s in 1985. And I basically just devoured it. And as you know, and as my parents know, and as all the people who have been close to me over the years know, that when I latch on to something, I devour everything about that until I know, like, as much as I can handle. And then, you know, that's that becomes one of the things that I'm into. Like, that's the same thing that happened with, you know, the yokai movies, it's the same thing that happened with Hellboy. You know, mm-hmm. when Hellboy came out, the movie came out, I always said, oh, man, you know what? I knew I should have knew I should have been reading Hellboy all this time. And I wasted absolutely no time at all. I got a hold of all the graphic novels and I, you know, just basically dived headfirst into the Hellboy mythos. And I now I've I'm totally up to date. I know everything there is to know about Hellboy. Up to a point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's interesting. That makes a really good segue for the next question because um, the way that that Kyle and I know each other is through our Star Wars fascination. And uh, and I'm going to actually relate some of this discussion a little bit here in a minute over to uh, the last episode that you had with Eight. But so I I guess the question I want to ask is when you match these movies up when you look at the long string of movies that they've had and some good and some bad how do you compare those against things if we were to say like the star wars saga which continues on in the clone wars cartoons or any or any other type of uh series type of stuff that and and i guess i use star wars not because it's our connection and and where we met through but but because it is something of tremendous international success but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it maybe holds the same kind of quality or the same kind of mythos for you. Right. Well, Star Wars definitely holds a fascination for me. Those first three movies that came out when I was a kid will always be in my top 50 movies of all time. I don't care if teddy bears beat the stormtroopers. I loved Return of the Jedi. 
if you want to have a comparison between Godzilla movies and Star Wars, not just Godzilla movies, the Godzilla universe and the Star Wars universe and everything that has been created to make those happen, there are a lot of differences. And one of the main differences is sheer numbers. Um, And some people might think that I'm going to say that Godzilla has sheer numbers against Star Wars, but that is not the case at all, as you know. As I'm sure some other listeners out there know, Star Wars has roughly uh, 1.5 kajillion books and comic books and video games and other tie-ins that have been accepted as, you know... I kind of wish they made more toys. I think they missed out on that market. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I wish they would release more toys over and over again so that... Kind of like their DVDs. (laughs) Yeah. So, seriously, though, you know, uh, Star Wars has extreme numbers on it. I think if you if you break Star Wars down into um, what George Lucas made, me, primarily the movies, you know, mm-hmm. versus what other people have made, then I think Star Wars has, I start leaning more towards Star Wars. I think that when you when you look at the grand scheme of what has been done for the Star Wars universe, I think it's actually quite amazing that so many authors have pooled together, not pooled together, but so many authors have submitted and, you know, been approved to write for Star Wars and comic books have been created and video games have been created. And even though it kind of muddies some of the waters really makes it an amazing uh, sandbox to use a term that we know from from the 501st, makes an amazing sandbox to play in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also makes an amazing sandbox for us to look at and go, man, that's really cool. Like, I think there's probably a lot more comics out there that I like compared to the prequels. But arguably, the Godzilla universe is that way as well, even though um, it may not have been one person's vision that has created all of the stories and and everything that's happened with it the the and which is why I asked the question because it's it's completely undeniable that its influences spanned through several different directors several different writers several decades. you know lots of yeah absolutely decades i mean it it automatically eclipses things just in its longevity um you know so it, that's why there's relevance in that that question for me and that is like you know because it it continues to be a power even though the last movie was put out when 2004 2004 yeah yeah i think that in general the godzilla series if you're just talking about godzilla right like godzilla and all the godzilla movies Mm -hmm. as opposed to bringing in other uh monsters you know like gamera and demijin and you know stuff like that I think if you're just talking about Godzilla, then you've actually got something very similar to Star Wars in which you've got, it's strictly with the movies, you've got like one sort of company controlling every movie that comes out. Mm -hmm. And and basically every movie that comes out is what almost everybody sees, just like Star Wars. You know, a lot of people were watching the Clone Wars, you know, cartoon that's on right now. And a lot of people saw the stuff that was on TV before. But primarily when you say, name Star Wars stuff, they're going to name the movies. You say the same thing about Godzilla, too. Mm -hmm. So you have Toho, which is in charge of creating the Godzilla movies. And it's their, their job to do a good, to, 
make good Godzilla movies. And where a lot of people complain about the prequels for the Star Wars movies, the things that came out recently, Mm -hmm. you should hear the complaints about the new Godzilla movies. You'd think you'd almost think that the new Godzilla movies are just getting better and better and better. Oh, okay. But there's a lot of uh there's I've been speaking with a lot of people recently about this. Like there's there's a magic that you don't really get with the newer films that you got with the original films. And you know, it, it sort of pains me to say that because I know that, you know, the directors of the what's called the millennium series. I know they put their heart and soul into it, but it's just, they sort of fall short where a lot of people that I know feel that the original show, a series that's ones from 1954 all the way to 1975. Those movies are what sort of hold and captivate our hearts and imagination. So it's sort of similar in a sense, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one hand it's like comparing apples to oranges, but on the other hand, it's kind of comparing pears to pears. Yeah, and I, you know, and I have to say, uh, as a person on the on the outside who's looking in, uh, for whatever references I would ever make, I believe it's the Showa movies that I've seen the most. Those are the ones that have been on the reruns, and those have been on. You know, re- uh, recently Kyle and I watched uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. And I had never seen that one before, and I and I chose that one because of the there's a poster collection here at the studio of Kaiju Cast, and uh, uh, and I was like, I I need to see that movie because that thing is so sweet. I mean, there's giant crystals growing out of this thing. How can that not be awesome? You know, and and uh, but it's definitely those older movies are the ones that I remember. Uh, the most for sure. So, uh, well, so that, and then that's going to kind of go into the next question that I wanted to, and that, and it refers back to the last episode with the, with, uh, the guest speaker that you had, and you guys were talking about model building and you were talking specifically about the details and the things that went into the models. And there was, you know, the naysayers that were like, oh, that's just cardboard and paper mache. And there's just, you know, the guy's wrecking it with his rubber tail and all of that. But the amount of the detail that went into that kind of thing that was actually being built, and I found it was really interesting when I was listening to that kaiju cast, and I related my Star Wars to that. And I'm like, you know what? Mark Hamill was talking about the fact that in 1977, he's hanging out in a golf cart drinking coffee with his feet up, and he's watching a bunch of unknown guys with this camera dangling off of a crane in the back of a pickup, and they're driving back and forth in a in a parking lot at the studio with what amounted to about a thousand battleship tank or battleship models that they had cannibalized and glued together. And then they stuck a bunch of fireworks inside of this thing, and they ran back and forth on all these tables, and that's became the surface of the Death Star. So between what people were building in the 50s and 60s and 70s for those Godzilla movies, by 1977, you know, with a $10 million budget and, and Fox behind them to be able to, they were doing the same kind of thing, the same kind of technology you know they were building stuff out of out of plastic and whatever else to build mm-hmm. that so there's there's definitely you know those guys were actually pioneering something long, yeah, oh. long like decades before what anybody else was doing oh absolutely and you know uh actually let me relate something else to that um one of the things that i just read about Eiji Tsuburaya for those that don't know Eiji Tsuburaya was the special effects director 
um, from I think 19, well, I know 1954, but I think all the way through like 1968, maybe 1970, not really sure, but he also did the Ultraman series. That's where Ultraman came from was his own, Edgy Subaraya started his own company. Um, anyway, Edgy Subaraya had a term that he used for making that stuff. And it was basically making it from scratch. You don't go to the store and you don't buy something that turns into this. You assemble different pieces. And I think that the difference between the star Wars movies of yesteryear being the seventies and early eighties and the star Wars movies of today being the prequels is that there is so much that was handmade and a lot of time and effort was put into it. And sure, the newer stuff is really pretty to look at, and it's very visually orgasmic. I mean, if you watch the intro to Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, the whole scene where they're flying through um, the upper atmosphere of Coruscant, you know, where the attack is happening, is visually amazing. But it's it goes, in my opinion, it goes a little too far. You, I mean, you have so much going on, your eye can't catch all that detail, which makes it fantastic for subsequent viewings. And you can go, oh, look, they've done this there. That's really cool. Um, but it doesn't have that look what we made with our hands with our hands kind of feel, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, there, there's something about it that you, you know, is not real. You know, nobody actually made that. So I, I think that's one of the things about the show of movies that really, um, one of the things about the show of movies that sits well in my heart is to know that so much time and effort and, uh, just was spent on that stuff to make it look as real as possible. And sure, you know, 30 years, 40 years later, a lot of those things don't look perfect. But man, try it yourself. I mean, that's the kind of thing you, that Jim was talking about. It's like you try and try and make it with that much detail. And a lot of people, I'm sure these days would have a lot of trouble doing that. And they'd, they'd probably want to say, eh, you know what, let's just do it on the computer. Yeah. And And it just makes it not, it takes a level of realism out of it. And it and it does. I would totally agree with that. And as a um, as a very amateur level movie maker right now, having to to do some of my stuff, and I'm and I'm looking at some of that stuff. Now, and it's interesting because we're you know we we're looking at combinations of doing some digital and some real life stuff. And um, and it, it just got me to thinking about that. And I thought that was some really good points about what he had made because there was an extreme amount of detail. And and I actually got to thinking back about. It. I'm like, wow, I remember you know, all of these buildings and the satellite dishes and they had all of this in the military compounds and they've got the vehicles and all this and they had all the little emblems. And I built models for a lot of years too. I didn't do any Godzilla models, but I was big into um, airplanes. World World War II was my thing and I built um, full-on dioramas for a lot of those. I was inspired by the Revel model box. Mm -hmm. And that took me years to be able to get to where I was making 
you know, decent dioramas like that. And those guys were making entire cityscapes of things. And I would imagine that when they built those cityscapes, they were probably also building them in such a way that not only did they look fantastic, but then they broke in very specific ways to be able to show, you know, the kind of detail that they needed to do to look like a building. Oh, yeah, for sure. When in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, when Godzilla is approaching the castle, I can't remember if it's Nagoya or Osaka, but... Godzilla is approaching the castle. He basically trips and falls on top of this castle. And the shingles are coming off of the roof. It's very, very realistic. Very nice. Good stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing to me. And that's a, um, I think that was a really great uh, conversation that you guys had on that stuff because I think that kind of definitely boosted my level of respect on things like that. So, uh, and I and I began to kind of go back over it with my memories from a filmmaker's point of view. So I'm I'm interested now in going back and seeing all of that. Yeah, there's. I can tell you right now that if you watch the original Ghidra, the three-headed monster, even though parts of the story are a little out there and maybe it's somewhat ponderous, the effects work when Ghidra lands and starts tearing up the city, mm-hmm. just amazing. Mm-hmm. And actually, they built, uh, for that movie, they built a giant, oh, I can't, I can't remember if I'm actually, I might get in trouble for this. It was either Godzilla versus Monster Zero or it was Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. They actually built a giant Godzilla foot. Mm-hmm. Like, perhaps life-size Godzilla foot that they hoisted up on a crane and then destroyed some, you know, walls and buildings and such. Oh, nice to have like a people's point of view kind of shot on it. Yeah, it it didn't work that great, mm-hmm. but it's a testament to them trying new things. Yeah, you got to respect them for yeah. trying. I mean, yeah, that'd be a huge fit. Now, I, and I got to say, um, and I think I have this right. I really want to say uh, I want to see a, a Biolante movie, and I believe Biolante is the character that's on the the corner up here inside uh, the Kaiju Cast Studios. Is that Biolante? The one with the wings. The, the wings and the big horn. Actually, that's Destroya. That's Destroya. Okay, well, yeah. I want to watch a Destroya one then because that's just a cool toy. Well, there's only one Destroya monster movie, and that's Godzilla versus Destroya. Nice. And since you've seen Space Godzilla, which is the movie just before it, I think we should definitely watch Godzilla vs. Destroyer next. Ah, excellent. Uh, so speaking of watching, um, we'll, we can cover these kind of quickly um, because I'm sure you've done it before. But for me, I wanted to get into this and I wanted to really know what is your favorite Godzilla movie? What is, what is the one? That's really It's like your favorite album that you would love to take with you to a desert island. Oh, okay. So if, <laughs> if I was going to be on a deserted island and only have one Godzilla movie, I would have to say it would be Godzilla versus Monster Zero. Nice. And why? Everything about that movie just makes me smile. Like there's... There's nothing about that movie that makes me cringe and say, "Oh, really? That was bad." <laughs> Even though you can see the strings in King Ghidra, you know, you can see the wires holding him up and, you know, just everything from story development to character development to the actors involved to the special effects, it's all so fantastical and so science fiction involved. They I was um talking about this with one of my uh, one of the guys who wrote in for the show. And 
the they came out with a movie recently called Godzilla X Megagirus mm-hmm. or Megagirus, and they had something in that movie that they really haven't done a lot of in the newer films. They they had a, a science team, government science team, built something called the Dimension Tide, and what it is, it's a gun that shoots a a ball out of it that's like another dimension and their plan was to shoot Godzilla and make him disappear <laughs> and when <laughs> when I was watching the movie I was like okay this is cool this is like this is like what they were doing in the 60s mm-hmm. when they came out with the a cycle light ray and with the um you know the stuff we we're talking about with uh, the stuff I was talking about with Jim so, like, specifically, let's talk about the A-Cycle Light Ray because that's in Godzilla versus Monster Zero. The A-Cycle Light Ray was built because the Planet X aliens were controlling Godzilla and Rodan and King Ghidra. And they determined that with this um, A-Cycle Light Ray, they could shoot these magnetic beams out mm-hmm. and cut off the transmission. So... They took this. They had this truck, and on on the back of the truck was this giant, like Maser tank looking gun. Of course, there was there was no Maser tank at that point in in time, so it was, it's kind of hard to describe it. But it's basically like a huge arm that comes up, and on the tip of the uh, where the fingers would be on the arm, there were these nodes, like rounded off nodes, kind of like fingers, and then on around that were these like almost like antennas, but they were jagged. And when it fired, it wasn't like, boom, I've shot a ray, and that ray is going across the world. It was basically like this thing that just kind of projected magnet a magnetic disturbance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were 20 feet away from it, it would totally, you know, if you were 100 feet away from it or whatever, it would totally disrupt it. But if you went further away, I'm sure it would stop because mm-hmm. it wouldn't go that far. It was really kind of cool... And uh, it's very inventive of the time. And that's one of the things in Godzilla versus Monster Zero that I just I just really love. I also cannot get enough of the two main characters. And I love the dubbed version of, of that movie. But mm-hmm. um, they had an American actor in there named Nick Adams. And Nick Adams is awesome. And in this movie, he is just the epitome of a 1960s american badass <laughs> this guy this guy is like it's full of one liners like uh, at one point they're in space and uh he he says to to fuji he goes you should have left your sister packed on ice it's just like <laughs> half of them don't even make sense you know he says like you rats you dirty rats and it's it's great i mean it's it's overacted of course, but it's it's so enjoyable. It's a, another guilty pleasure of mine, like watching the 1960s Batman show. Nice. Very nice. Um, so one last, well, I guess you kind of answered. I, I, maybe it ties into all this. What kind of continues to endear you to the Godzilla stuff? Like what, what does keep you coming back for more? I guess in general, I just, I love seeing these these movies being made and being inventive, mm-hmm. um, you know, couple that with this liking to see destruction, you know, like any good 10 year old, 
you know, <laughs> I, I like seeing buildings getting smashed, big, big explosions and, you know, a, a monster that fires a ray from his mouth, you know, just to me, that's what Godzilla is all about. You know, it's, you can't say Godzilla is about this one thing and have that be legitimate for every movie too. I mean, that just wouldn't hold, hold true. So it's basically all of the elements that sort of come together make Godzilla enjoyable and therefore, I continue to await enjoyable Godzilla movies. Nice. So I've, I've got uh, hopefully what would be essentially two last really quick ones. What what would you like to see for the future of Godzilla movies? And and with that, would you would you want a Godzilla shot at you know from Hollywood again? Would you want the Michael Bay you know the digital buildings that are torn apart like that, or you know would that would that turn you away? Well, I, I totally just said I like seeing destruction, so saying that I would not like a Michael Bay Godzilla movie seems like like I'm hypocritical, But because uh, Michael Bay blows stuff up. <laughs> he does do that part well. I will, I will give it that. Um, Michael Bay is a good example because he did the Transformers movies, and I, I really I liked the action of the Transformers movies. But I don't think that that is what makes a Godzilla movie. I don't think action is really what you have to have to make a Godzilla movie enjoyable. I think what you have to have to make a Godzilla movie enjoyable is a good story, a well-balanced cast, which might sound weird because I love the Japanese movies so much, but man, terrible cast in the American Godzilla movie. Yeah. Um and then, of course, the creature has to be like Godzilla. There are aspects of Godzilla, the creature, that are really required in order to make a Godzilla movie. You know, you look at what they did and what what Centropolis did with um, that Godzilla design, and it probably could have they could have done a lot better with the personality of the beast. They could have made him a little more aggressive, a little more, a little less afraid, for one. But they just turned him into a scared animal. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I I remember thinking that the 98 Godzilla movie was a good monster movie. It served its purpose as a monster movie, but it wasn't a Godzilla movie because the creature just did not act like Godzilla. Yeah. Well, it was, it was better than the, there was that one Matthew McConaughey movie. Um, where he falls in love with like the wedding planner. That was pretty monstrous. It was so it was better than that one. <laughs> Why would you ever mention that man's name on my show? Wait, hang on. If you if you have to talk about Matthew McConaughey, mm-hmm. um, you have to talk about Reign of Fire. Oh, actually, that's a darn good point because that uh, not not deep in uh, like intellectual storytelling. But I still had a good time watching Reign of Fire. That I really was some enjoyed cool, it. yeah. That was some cool dragon fighting stuff, and a bald headed, uh, big old beard Matthew McConaughey Dude. jumping off of a tower with a battle axe is pretty he sweet. He was <laughs> nuts. He was nuts yeah. in that movie, and that's been pretty much the only movie that I can stand him in. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty sweet. That was a pre Christian Bale yelling at the audio dudes while the camera rolls time. So. <laughs> <All> ba- <right. laughs> Uh, so, but, uh, I think that's an excellent place for me to be able to take a back seat to this and turn this back over to Kyle. I want to thank everybody who listens and, and, uh, 
uh, writes in to Kyle, this is a fantastic thing, and I really appreciate everybody doing this. And Kyle, I appreciate you having me back. Well, dude, I'm I'm really glad you wanted to come back on the show. I mean, I I would expect that that my guests would want to come back. You know, I treat them well. He has a great green room. <laughs> it's really awesome. My green room is uh, pretty much my apartment. That's my <laughs> studio. There's the the secrets out. I don't Dang know. It. I don't know what I've been doing, man. But he anyway. has like a 36 inch TV in the Kaiju Cast studio, so it's it's pretty spectacular. And there's Wii and all that. So I mean, it's it's top notch. But we are going to go ahead and take a music break. I'm going to go ahead and play some. Actually, I'm going to play some songs from the Heisei series. So we're going to start with Godzilla Ambushed from Return of Godzilla.
We are back from a music break. You just heard Godzilla Ambushed by Rajiro Kuroku from Return of Godzilla, Mothra vs. Batra by Kiro Ifukube from Godzilla vs. Mothra, and The Birth of Destroya by, also by Akira Ifukube from, of course, Godzilla vs. Destroya. Uh, and it's about time for us to get into the Kaiju Cast news segment. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. As you've heard me say before, I don't actually do any of the scooping for these news stories. They're borrowed from my friends' websites. I just, uh, I can't put them back when I'm done with them. So, But I can send you there. And in the show notes, you'll find links to each of those stories. So click on through to those guys who do all the real work out there. Uh, first off, kaiju aficionados slash guru extraordinaires Steve Rifle and Ed Gojitowski have been interviewed by Richard Pusateri about their recent activity on many of the recent releases from classic media. Uh, the interview follows their involvement from the pre-production all the way through the commentary recording process. It's really an interesting read. I highly suggest you go check out scifijapan.com. That article actually went live today, so uh, look for it in the show notes. It looks like the Korean horror slash monster movie, The Host, will be getting a sequel. I didn't know this before, but it looks like the monster is named Gwamul. And uh, I actually got to see the first film in the theater, and I really liked it. I actually have it on DVD. It's a little quirky, sure, but a great film. It doesn't really pull the same punches that the Godzilla films do. A lot of skulls, a lot of dying. Of course, it does help that the creature is more human-sized. But anyway, Sci-Fi Japan has covered all sorts of host-sequel-related information. Um, Aside from the sequel itself and, and the Korean sequel, there's also like a Chinese sequel and there's an American remake. Surprise, surprise. Uh, This may not seem like it will have an effect on kaiju fans, but many of us will remember that in the early 2000s, ADV Films was a leader in bringing us some very important films. Aside from releasing the Heisei Gamera series, ADV's Rubber Suit Pictures Group released the Daimajin and the Yokai trilogies on DVD. Honestly, I never thought I'd see those released. When I saw the Yokai films, they were taped off of somebody else's um, Laserdisc and I, they weren't subtitled, and I was like, these are so cool, but nobody's ever going to get them here in the States. So I was surprised to see them when they were released. They also um, put out Orochi the Eight-Headed Dragon, otherwise known as Yamato Takeru. Well, unfortunately, it appears that due to uh, the economy and other hardships, ADV Films has dubbed its last anime, folks. Sci-Fi Japan has the details from the press release. It doesn't really go into a whole lot, but it does talk about why they're not around anymore. Uh, Next up, I actually have something to share. Last year, I was in Atlanta for business, and uh, since I used to live there, I decided to hit Little Five Points, meet up with a friend of mine who actually works for Adult Swim. But uh, I went to a shop, and when I was there, I picked up this flyer for the 2008 5th Annual Rock and Roll Monster Bash. This flyer was so cool-looking. And it killed me that it wasn't happening the weekend I was in town. They played Godzilla vs. Godzilla back-to-back with the werewolf versus vampire women. And that was just the movie selection. They had all sorts of cool stuff going on, and they did it again this year. But they played a favorite of mine, a Technicolor print of Rodan, which was borrowed from Ed Gojachowski. 
Next up, I have some really cool news for all you collectors out there. August Ragoni's blog has some exciting news. If you didn't know, the Japanese DVDs, the actual Japanese DVDs for these movies are really pricey, like 60 bucks a piece kind of pricey. I actually only have one original Japanese DVD left, and that's my Final Wars special DVD set that I got uh, when it came out. But collectors out there should rejoice. Why do you ask? Well, Tokyo-based company, the Agostina, which admittedly doesn't sound very Japanese, is putting out some super cool magazine DVD combos this month on a bi-weekly basis. And they're releasing a lot of fa- like fantastic Toho films. Aside from the DVDs that come with the package, each magazine will be uh, chock full of photographs, production backgrounds, actor biographies, staff profiles, monster guides, weapons encyclopedias, Advertising museums and a special column on each film by visual effects director Koichi Kawakita. I'm actually going to see if my local Japanese Kinokuniya bookstore will uh, pick these up for me like I need to spend the money. But uh, as a word to the wise folks, these won't be subtitled. These are the same releases that they sell in Japan that aren't uh, aren't subbed. And uh, the magazines won't be in English either. But they're going to be awesome. They're going to have really cool pictures. Last but not least on the news front, here in Oregon, we have Comcast, like a lot of uh, places out there, I'm sure. And Comcast ran a series of commercials that sort of reminded me of uh, real people doing things in a Sims-like environment. One of the spots actually had a giant robot fighting Godzilla in the midst of the city. And uh, not surprisingly, Toho is suing Comcast for the unlicensed use of Godzilla's image. I remember seeing the ad and enjoying it, but it's really not a stretch at all to think that Toho will win the suit. Uh, It's not just like a reptilian monster. This guy actually has like the Godzilla spines and everything. Uh, And that pretty much does it for the Kaiju Cast news. There's one more thing I did want to share. And that is that uh, this next weekend, I will be promoting the Kaiju Cast at the local Portland Halloween Bazaar with a table... And uh, if you're in the area, definitely stop by. Go to PortlandHalloweenBazaar.com and check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes. I'll actually have some stickers and some flyers and a TV that will be playing some really cool Godzilla stuff. I'll be joined by my son, Tiger, and a six-foot inflatable Godzilla, which was donated to the collection by previous guest, Sane Donahue. I'm going to try and make a banner too, but the most important part of this for you locals is that I'll be selling a limited edition Kaiju Cast print. These are actually being still screened like right now, and they'll have that whole rock poster vibe going on with them. It's a really small run of 54 pieces, and uh, anything I don't sell at the bazaar will be available through the blog afterwards. So keep an eye out for more information, maybe. Actually, if all goes well, I won't have anything left to sell after the show, but we'll see, won't we? That just about does it, people. Thanks so much for listening. As I always say, if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and want to visit the actual site where I post everything, just go to kaijucast.com. And while you're there, feel free to check out the other older shows, vote in the poll, or drop me an email. Just send all praise, criticism, and complaints to controller at kaijucast.com. I'll make sure I write back to you, even if it takes me a long time. Feel free to make music requests or a suggestion for a future episode. 
Next month will be my special Halloween episode, so you won't want to miss that, especially if you've ever wondered just what the heck are those creepy goblin things in the Yokai trilogy. So until then, I'm going to leave you with a few tracks from the Millennium series, starting with Kao Otani's The Unleashed Spirits of the War Dead from Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra. Shamata! <laughs> <laughs> 